hey, this is Mike Birbiglia, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, which is one of the better tape recorders. Yep, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Dana Gould. We discuss Planet of the Apes, of course, but some other fandoms as well. Uh, I believe the fact that there's a race of people that look like that, that that's their standard of beauty. One thing I don't believe is that a professional plastic surgeon would take off her bandages and scream, No change! Always a great talk with Dana. Good to have him back on the show. The song of the week is from ABC. But first, a dumb bit involving Trump supporters. They got their feelings hurt. This happened a couple of weeks ago, of course, but this is the first chance we've had to take a look at it. Of course, uh, Hillary Clinton said some uh, not-so-nice things about Donald Trump supporters. And, uh, well, we'll play Donald Trump's ad in which he has his feelings hurt. Uh, and it pretty much explains it all. Here you go. Speaking to wealthy donors, Hillary Clinton called tens of millions of Americans deplorable. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. People like you, you, and you. Deplorable. You know what's deplorable? Hillary Clinton viciously demonizing hardworking people like you. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Okay, so there's a lot to get to here, but one thing I noticed when I just played this is this part. Speaking to wealthy donors. Okay, isn't Donald Trump supposed to be a guy that's so rich and has all these hotels and built all this great stuff and is a millionaire over and over again? All right, anyway. So um, this, I mean, I can see the point where they're, they got their feelings hurt. Here's the thing, is that there are a lot of people that are on the fence. And for Hillary Clinton to say, you know, uh, half of Trump supporters you know, are, are deplorable, um, it's probably not a good idea, only in that if there's people on the fence, they might think, well, I'm thinking about supporting Trump. Does that make me deplorable, too? So that's really not a, probably a very good strategy. So I do falter on that. Uh, however, there is this. I don't think there was any racism until Obama got elected, that we never had problems like this. You know, I, I'm in the real estate industry. There's none. That's a woman named Kathy Miller. She's now the former chair of the Trump campaign in Mahoning County, Ohio. Mahoning County, if you're uh, familiar, is also where Youngstown is located, if you're familiar with that city. And I used to live in Pittsburgh, which is not too far from Youngstown. In fact, I have a lot of family in Youngstown, and I used to live in Pittsburgh as well in a suburb called West Mifflin. And uh, along the river there, tucked under West Mifflin, and between West Mifflin and the river, is a little community called Dravosburg. And Dravosburg, I would say, is solidly middle class. And this was in the late 80s I was there. Uh, a buddy of mine lived there, and he told me that his neighbors were selling their house. Now, you could say this is anecdotal, and maybe it is, but it's still interesting. Uh, the neighbors were selling the house. A black family looked at it. Uh, the people selling the house were served with a letter anonymously that if they sold the house to this black family, they would burn the house down. And I just remembered another story of a buddy of mine where th there was uh, a black family looking at a house across the street, and my friend's neighbors were telling their kids that bad people with black faces and black bellies were going to buy that house. And I'm like, I need a map and a calendar, okay? <laughs> because it's 1989 in Pittsburgh. It is not 1864 in the South, all right? So anyway, uh, but again, you know, probably not the best strategy, you know, if people are on the fence. And a lot of people are, shockingly still. I think that's probably your low information voters and what uh, Fandral and I like to call your functional racists, people that don't think they're racists. 
but in fact, when they boil it down, are really for a lot of racist things. So, um, yeah. So anyway, the uh, Trump supporters got their feelings hurt, probably rightly so. And I don't know. Oh, wait, somebody else has to say something. I'm, what, what's that, sir? I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. And this just in, go to any of our Home Shirts websites, use the code COMEHOME, all one word, and receive 20% off for a limited time. Now, on with the show. Dana Gould is a stand-up comedian and comedy writer. He, uh, you may have seen some of his work on perhaps The Simpsons. You may have seen him do stand-up on Conan and the other late-night talk shows. He has a new TV series coming out, Stand Against Evil, on IFC in November. Here now is our interview with Dana Gould. Hi, is this PF? Yeah. Hey, Dana, how's it going? Hi, it's Dana Gould calling. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Good Good to talk to you again. Thank you, yeah, nice to talk to you. Um, I don't know if they mentioned this to you. Is it okay if we use the audio for this on my podcast like we did last time? Yeah, totally fine. Cool, man. Uh, well, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I thought about you over the weekend. It was really weird. I'm flipping through the dial and uh, that me TV, you know, the, that uh, over the antenna channel that has all the yeah, 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 sure, yeah. F- five o'clock in the morning I'm looking and uh, for stuff to tape Planet of the Apes TV series is on there now uh, oh no yeah <laughs> it's so terrible <laughs> I, I watched one of them on sci-fi channel a couple of years ago when we still had cable and uh, yeah. yeah I mean it's uh, yeah it's... less than less than great <laughs> yeah where would you rank that though in terms of the uh the back end of the movie catalog the original movie catalog not the well see i uh, i i put it way at the i i put it way at the bottom i was you know it, to me it was like i likened it to bruce springsteen like i i appreciate it i'm glad it's there it just doesn't really ring my bell okay but i actually but 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 Conquest is actually my second favorite of the movies. Oh, okay. I, uh, just in terms of the lunacy of it. Yeah, Although yeah. when you really look at it, it's not so much Conquest of the Planet of the Apes as Conquest of about two blocks of the apes. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because that, that same earlier that day, I, was, I took my daughter to the Cincinnati Comic Book Expo. And, oh, uh, good for you. Good I, yeah, and I was telling her, you know, well, there was Star Trek stuff there, so I was in for that, although not as much as I would have hoped. Um, yeah. It's just amazing, all the fandoms that are out there, and I was telling her, it's amazing how some fandoms have just kind of gone away, and, and Planet being one of them, Battlestar Galactica being another. Saw one Battlestar Galactica item, saw one Planet of the Apes item, during, and the whole thing. That's yeah. That's interesting. That is. In a bad way. I know, right? It's so, is is Planet your only fandom, really, or is the? Or the no, no, God, no, no. I'm, an, I, I mean, I'm a super fan of of of, of Planet, and, and I've sort of become, a, you know, it's sort of become a part of my public persona. Right, right, yeah. Doing the... <laughs> but no, I was a big, I was a big Trek guy. I okay. loved uh, Dark Shadows. I love oh, yeah. Universal Horror. I love all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hence co- my show. Hence my TV show is very. Oh, yeah. Uh, horror. It's a horror show. 
Yeah, uh, comic books too. Twilight Zone fan. Oh yeah, yeah. That's my. In fact, both my daughters want to start watching that, which uh, I'm very thrilled about. Wow, how old are they? Uh, Thirteen and nineteen. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, I have a, I have a twelve-year-old and a four. I have a seven, twelve, and fourteen. And my fourteen-year-old kind of like, yeah, that's interesting. It's black and white. It's hard to get them into it. Yeah. Well, it's weird because they didn't start rerunning those uh, when I was a kid until I was. 12, 13, 14, and I would, this would have been like 1980. And for some reason, they didn't rerun right. them until, and then when they did, everybody was into them. It was just, it, everyone was like, oh, these are great. And, you know, half hour, easy to watch. They put them on at midnight, so it was, you know, hard to stay up late for that. But, um, uh-huh. yeah, they mostly became interested because of the ride at Disney. And they wanted to kind of. Exactly, yeah, get, the Tower of Terror. Right, and I told them. Going away, which is going away out yes. here in L.A. so they can make uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy ride that goes into Marvel right, right. land. Which I think they're doing in Orlando, too. But, um, yeah, they, they wanted to catch up on it going backwards to that. And we were on the ride in Orlando. I said, the series isn't really a lot like this. I'll just tell you up front. <laughs> so, I'm going to pick out a couple episodes for them to watch, and uh, and we'll go from there. Maybe Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> uh, you know, start with yeah, that. Yeah, great one. Yeah, oh, yeah. The one thing about Eye of the Beholder that is... Uh, I know that it's heightened reality because it's Twilight Zone. Sure. But one of the things that it's like, uh, I believe the fact that there's a race of people that look like that <laughs> and uh, that that's their standard of beauty. One thing I don't believe is that a professional plastic surgeon would take off the bandages and scream, no change! His <laughs> 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 bedside is really terrible. That is, yeah. That's, uh, well, you know, it's, what can it do? Usually uh, they go, hey! Yeah. All right. Yeah. Poor Donna Douglas. <laughs> poor Donna. Poor Ellie Mae. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what else is new with you? Oh God. Well, uh, in addition to coming to the beautiful Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis, uh, I have a TV series premiering on IFC on uh, November second. Oh, cool. Uh, called Stand Against Evil, and. Um, Basically, the premise of the show is simply, what if my dad was Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Uh, what if my sort of, I've often described my dad as Archie Bunker without the elegance and sophistication. <laughs> and the, the premise of the show is basically, what if I created a show that I would want to watch? What if I created a horror show about this haunted town in New England? And just put a character in the middle of it that didn't belong there. You know, yeah. what if Archie Bunker was in the, you know, what if the exorcist's dad was Archie Bunker and was more concerned with his own stuff than his daughter who was possessed by the devil? And that was basically the genesis for the show. And uh, John C. McGinley from Scrubs is the lead. Oh, nice. And uh, Janet Varney uh, is oh, uh, love her. the co-lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's the co-lead. And uh, yeah, it premieres, uh, it's called Stand Against Evil and they're sneaking the first two episodes on Halloween night, and then the show premieres officially on Wednesday, November 2nd. Okay. Now, I believe if I have the IFC application on my phone, as Jimmy Pardo would say, uh, I'll, I'll be able to watch that, because we don't have cable, but... Uh, yeah, you probably could. There's probably ways around that. Cool. Yeah, because Marin's on there, and um, you're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, documentary now, Portlandia, me, Marin, it's a nice little... They have a nice little uh, slate. Yeah. So, are you starring in it as well, or are you behind the scenes, or a little bit of? Uh, I wrote it, oh. and I wrote it, I created it, and I have a small part in it. Okay. Not a giant part in it. 
that's you can't really do all that stuff. I was going to say time. probably a logistical nightmare to try to do all of that. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a bit much, and I'm not old enough to play. Uh, John McGinley's uh, play. Well, he's he's not that much older than I am, but he's playing a guy in his uh, mid sixties. Okay, who uh, is a sheriff that was forced into retirement and is replaced by a woman, and then they <laughs> find out that they're both cursed uh, by the. Because a constable in this town burned 172 people for witchcraft in the 1600s, and since then every sheriff has died a horrible death. <laughs> and uh, they're both cursed, but he's much more annoyed at being replaced by a woman than the fact that he's cursed by demons. Okay. So how reminiscent of your dad is John C. McGinley? Was it, like, close casting, or did you, as you wrote it, you realize that you needed more of a guy like John C. McGinley and less of a guy like your no, dad? No, I wrote it. I wrote it specifically as my dad, and then it became. And then basically, the actors would come and add. You know, he brings his own stuff to it, and it, you know, it basically the way it came out, it's almost like what if Quint from Jaws had a daughter? That's basically okay. how it came out. Huh. Uh, I couldn't be. I couldn't. Just so we're clear, could not be happier with it. Really oh, cool. Tough. All right, cool. I'll yeah. put that on the list list of shows to because uh, we were huge Buffy fans, and my wife's got a good. Yeah, sense then of I humor. think you'd like. Yeah, you'd like this. This feels and it takes place like it doesn't. It's not a. It's not a period piece, but it's it sort of feels like a night gallery. There's a oh, weird cool. 70s kind of vibe uh, to it. Yeah, the yeah. Cars, they have old. They have cell phones and the internet, but they drive cars in the 70s. They have old console televisions. So it's kind of like a, there's uh, a weird kind of vague timelessness to it. It's kind of like Battlestar Galactica. They're in this huge spaceship, but they're talking on wired telephones. That, that is exactly correct. Oh, wow. Or, yeah. Mar- they did that in Mars Attacks as well. Okay. So let me ask you, being at the front end of this thing, and I can't remember who, who, what podcast I was listening to where they had this conversation about when you're doing something, especially like a TV show and sometimes movies, but knowing how it how it all ends sometimes people do know and sometimes people don't know and there's two schools of thought on that one people say well you should leave it open-ended even if you think you know the ending you know you could be a couple seasons into it realize no this should be completely different and other people really stick to their guns and then you know disaster strikes and it doesn't really turn out like do you have an overall vision or are you just gonna see where it goes I absolutely have an overall vision. I absolutely because you know when you first come up with an idea before you can really go and write the show, you have to write the Bible. You have to go right. back and sort of create this entire world. Yeah. Uh, and when a show, when you know, the, the worst thing that happens is like I, I, you know, to me, you know, I loved Twin Peaks, and when I realized that they didn't really know where they were going after they solved the murder. Yeah. The show fell apart for me. Um, the minute I realized that Lost was making it up as it went along, uh-huh. I yeah. stopped watching it. I was just going to say, yeah. But that's that's me, though. Yeah. I got stubborn and stuck with it because I'm like, yeah. Well, There's Battlestar Galactica, like, they knew where they were going. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, true. And you, you, and you kind of knew they had to find Earth. I mean... Right. Yeah, right. and I was guessing. But we I, didn't know when. But we didn't know when right. it would be. I kind of suspected because uh, BSG TOS, as I call it, although it's not really called that, the original Battlestar. Right. J- just for uh, yeah, as it was a, back in the time of the Mayans. Yeah, as a, as a money saving idea, they decided to land them in 1979, Los Angeles, <laughs> to save a couple of bucks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't really, wasn't a really creative vision on there, and Randolph Mantooth. <laughs> 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, and uh, someone's rerunning those now, I saw somewhere. You can watch those. Gala- oh, no, it's Netflix. Galactica 19, Galactica 1980. Yeah, yeah, That's it's kind oh, of a, boy. an appendage to the, uh, appendix to the original series, which, um... It's with Kent McCord. And, and Lauren Green, though. Lauren Green stole at the helm. Yeah, Lauren Green, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So, you, Kent I'm, McCord, if I recall, was boxy grown up. Um, boy, I don't remember. I have to go back and look that up now. Yeah, but I remember it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember watching it from because I well, guess it's, it's sort of the well, it's the Fear the Walking Dead. What if we took this great thing and did it again, but for no money? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I guess the problem was it cost them a million dollars an episode to make uh, the original Battles. Yeah, no, that yeah, which back in the day was insane. Yeah, yeah, so. And yeah. they, were, they weren't seeing the yeah, money back again, 60 nothing. minutes. Yep. Yeah, that's a drop in the bucket. But um, here's yeah. a, a weird bit of trivia for you. They tried to bring back Lost in Space in the 90s on UPN. Uh, they didn't sell the pilot, but they did end up selling up all the equipment to the new Battlestar Galactica when they started filming in Vancouver. Oh, and they, and they are now, I did not know that, but they are now doing a new Lost in Space. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That is apparently playing it straight. Yes. Thankfully, hopefully. Hopefully it's more the black and yeah. white lost in space than it is the color lost in space. <laughs> no, I only want the giant carrot. Oh, God. <laughs> a lot of schools... <laughs> a, lot, a lot of schools... Every time I hear a new theory on why that series went the way it did, someone contradicts it. For a long time it was, oh, they, they were competing against Batman. And then a couple of years ago in an interview, Angela Cartwright said, no, no, that's, that's bullshit. That's not why it did that. It was because the show went color and they wanted to take advantage of color. No one has the answer. Yeah, the- uh, yeah, well, I think there was a lot of that. I think it was probably a combination of both. I know yeah. that the reason Star Trek stayed on the air was because it was the like it was the most colorful show on NBC, and NBC at the time was owned by RCA. Right. They oh, wanted yeah. to sell color television, so that, it was really vertical integration. And that's why Bonanza was on. Yes, and that's why Bonanza was on Saturday nights because the stores would still be open, and you could see the Ponderosa and. All the oh, I didn't know that. That's, yeah, yeah. That's smart. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, do you get out to do much stand up these days? I reckon not. If you're working on a TV show. Well, I did. You know, I was. I was all summer. I spent in Atlanta filming a TV show. I am literally talking to you from the post production facility. Oh, cool. We just did. Uh, I just did the final sound mix on episode six, and now I'm getting back into. Uh, you know, I started to go back on the road as soon as I got back. I'm doing a new hour special in January or February, so I'm now working towards that, and um, I'm really excited to come back to Minneapolis. It's one of my favorite towns, and, um, uh, you know, to do stand-up in just one of my favorite towns. So, uh, yeah, coming to me, this will be, you know, this weekend I'm really looking at sort of hammering hammering down my my new hour. Uh, hopefully by the end of Saturday I'll pretty much have it where I want it to be. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, yeah, my girlfriend is a puppeteer, and she's actually doing a show in town on Saturday night, so she's coming with me, and so it's actually going to be really kind of a nice. fun, relaxing weekend. Well, I was going to ask about what you're talking about, because I know there were, there were some life changes, as we found out on your uh, Conan appearance uh, <laughs> about 18 months ago. But, uh, yeah, I know. It so- sounds, like things, sounds like things are going okay. Things are great, yeah. Yeah, my, uh, yeah I get divorced, and that was, uh, you know, it wasn't... It, I'm happy to say everybody's great, and, uh, you know, it's not a very rewarding divorce comedically, but that's how you want it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'd better 
Better that way than yeah. the other way. Right. Precisely. Precisely. And your new girlfriend, a puppeteer. How did you, how did you meet her? Yes, I get tired of being manipulated, so I <laughs> dated a puppeteer. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, we met at uh, we met at Sketchfest in San Francisco. Oh, okay, very good. And yeah. what what's the puppet industry like these days? Are people accepting of it? Because I know there's certain corners of show business where it's. Uh... You know, I'll just say this: so many people get into puppeteering for the money. Because <laughs> <laughs> um... she's an artist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I gotcha. Yeah, because um, I know, like, with, uh, you know, magicians, although, you know, a lot of people have now, Penn and Teller have kind of helped kind of, you know, helped reposition that over the years, right. as of a lot of people. So, um, but uh, I found out now as a trivia host that uh, that's also kind of looked down upon in the, uh, yeah. in the entertainment well, business. Well, it's, it's its whole, like magic, like, you know, it's its whole separate world. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Pam was one of the producers of the Jim Henson documentary that was on PBF last year. I mean, she really knows her stuff. And, you know, Jim Henson is really like the Bob Dylan of puppetry. Like, he really reinvented it and made it this amazing, uh, like, added a completely new dimension to it as an art form. And the people that are into it are really into it. And they, you know, uh, Pam has done this stuff with, like, shadow puppets uh, that it's really amazingly beautiful art and it's yeah. you know it's a folk art it's a very tactile folk art kind of thing and what i didn't know is that how much these people worked there's well, exactly. always somebody doing something with puppets and same always. thing with with magicians is it that's a lot of dedication uh whereas yeah. a trivia host there's none i just i'm just reading and now <laughs> then, since since i work for a company i don't even write the questions anymore i just have to show up and read them and make a couple, you know, come up with a couple punch lines. I'm good to go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I'll let you go. I think Finesse Mitchell's supposed to be calling me here next. So, um, uh, who is calling you next? Finesse Mitchell. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, um, we're bumping well, up against please the bus. Come to uh, come out to the show if you can. Well, well I'm in yeah. Cincinnati, so we'll need to get you to Cincinnati oh, well, here. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, we'll get you to Cincinnati. I'll 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 put uh, I'll mention it to the guy that books Go Bananas. And uh, see, yeah. see if you can get something sorted. Well, I come to Cleveland every now and again. Okay, well, let's get you to Cincinnati. I'll I'll uh, I'll mention it to Mikey, and I'll give him your your, your people's info, and then yeah, he can reach out. Yeah, I'll him All right, great. All right, awesome. Okay, Dana, good talking. Right, good luck right. with the series. Looking forward to seeing it. Thanks, man. I think you really like it. It sounds like we're into the same stuff. I think you really oh, like very, it. Very definitely. All right. Well, thanks, man. Okay. Bye. 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 Thanks again to Dana Gould for being on the show. You can catch Dana. Well, the only uh, tour dates I have for him, uh, he's on the road this fall, uh, but he is in Minneapolis, of course, at the Acme Comedy Company, October 13th through October 15th. That's a Thursday through a Saturday, kids. Kel Morgan will be there Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, taking over the reins there on the stage at the Acme. Uh, so let me see what else. Oh, if you need anything else Dana Gould-related, including uh, information about the Dana Gould Hour, his podcast, which we didn't even talk about, go to danagould.com. Simple as that. All right. So, uh, the credits as usual, PF Tape Reporter logo designed by Dan Koble. Dan and his buddy, uh, Logan of, uh, the Skronk Podcast is back up. It's S-C-K-R-O-N-K. Just Google it. You'll find it. It's in iTunes and all the various places you find podcasts. Do check that out. Uh, let me see what else. Oh, original music composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help 
from me. I'll be doing trivia in Cincinnati at the Eastgate Brew and View Tuesday, October 4th. I do it every Tuesday, actually, there. Uh, that is at 7 o'clock, Eastgate Brew and View. We're on the east side of town there. Uh, do look that up as well. And that takes us to the Song of the Week. Song of the Week uh, from ABC, from the Lexicon of Love 2. This is the second track we're hearing from this album. And uh, this is the first one I really gravitated to when I got the record. I was really, I didn't, wasn't in a hurry to get this record because I love Lexicon of, one so, Lexicon of Love 1 so much. And then uh, Pat Francis, our friend over at Rock Solid, was really into it. Uh, April Richardson and I finally got him listened to Lexicon of Love. And then uh, when Lexicon 2 came out, it was the same time he was doing uh, a sequel albums episode on his show. And he loves the Lexicon 1 and he loves Lexicon 2. And he goes, have you heard Lexicon 2 yet? What do you think? I want to know. So I just went and bought it. I had birthday money. I had my iTunes card. went and bought it. And uh, this is the first track that I actually gravitated toward. Uh, Viva Love was the first single. Uh, this should be the second single if they have a second single uh, from this album. This is Confessions of Love. That is our song of the week on PF Tape Recorder. This is from ABC PF Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. I'll admit I'm a stranger to perfection. Wait a while now, hear my confession. The relic of romance in every wasted second chance is hard. Really your profession Sitting here in a room like this Just wasn't that high on my wish list All my pride crushed up in a paper cup Ran out of chances when I ran out of luck Run to discover, run to uncover The confessions of a fool
That man is me 